0: With roughly 140,000 employees across 66 countries, Boeing airplanes and aerospace products represent one of the most visible and important U.S. exports to the globe. And as CEO of the roughly $93 billion company, Dennis Muhlenberg is in charge of securing the plane maker's future in both the commercial and military sectors, overseeing the rollout of a 787 and the MAX-10 and securing a nearly $4 billion contract to build a new Air Force One for the president since he became CEO in 2015. Before becoming chief executive, Muhlenberg held various roles at Boeing, from president of the company's Defense, Space and Security Division to director of the weapons system for the proposed Boeing strategy strike fighter aircraft. He recently sat down with Carlisle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. They spoke on David Rubenstein's Bloomberg television program, Peer-to-Peer Conversations.
1: Since you've been the CEO, the market capitalization of the company is up uh, about 100 percent. The stock price is up about 140 percent. Yet you also uh, ride 120 miles a week on a bicycle. Have you thought about how much higher the stock price would be or the market cap if you didn't spend that time on the 120 miles a week in bike riding?
2: Well, I have thought about that, and actually I ride uh, closer to 140 a week.
1: 140? Yeah,
2: and and with that correlation, I'm thinking I should start riding 200 a week.
1: Wow, okay, all right, well... so, does, I mean, riding bikes, I, I've done probably 10 miles in my lifetime, maybe, something like that. But, but um, so, isn't it dangerous? I mean, they have key man insurance on you, you're an important person. Well,
2: I, I ride more than uh, 10,000 miles a year, so I'm uh, safety conscious. And, uh, you know, that's uh, a well-honed skill. And, you know, one of the things we take pride in at our company is our, is our safety record. And I try to apply the same thing when I'm riding. And it's a great way to uh, relax and think and uh, frankly I think uh, taking time to exercise and and ride my bike uh, makes me better as a leader and I try to encourage that in our team as well.
1: When did you take this up? Uh, Was it a young man or you're always interested in this?
2: I've been riding for uh, probably 20, 25 years, seriously. Uh, I often travel with my bike and I can drum up some uh, bowing riders at almost any one of our sites we hand out Boeing jerseys. It's a great way to get out with the
1: team. Engage, Any of them and ever go faster than you, or they're not allowed to do that?? <laughs> some try. try. Some try. Are they uh, still with the company, or Yeah? Yeah, yeah I, I like a challenge. One okay. um, other thing that I found unusual in reading about you is that um, you seem to be fueled by diet mountain dew. Mm. You drink enormous amounts.: It of is this. one of my
2: favorite drinks,
1: yeah. so you have some here. Yeah. Um, uh, is there something in it that I don't know about? But I mean, what, I mean if I, would I look like you if I could drink the Diet Mountain Dew? You, sure. Okay. All right.
2: Okay. No, hey, it's, good. It's, it's a good energizer for me.
1: You serve those uh, everywhere at Boeing. I assume they have that.
2: Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> uh,
1: so let's talk about uh, the company you're, you're leading now. Uh, the company is an extraordinary uh, success story, started by Mr. Boeing many, many years ago. The okay. company is how old now?
2: We're 102 years this year, so we celebrated our centennial 2016. We did a a big uh, celebration event at the uh, Red Barn facility, which is where the Boeing company started back in 1916.
1: Okay, so the company is in very, very good shape. The government is spending more money in aerospace defense than before. Um, People are flying more than they are. so. Can it get any better than this?
2: Well, I tell you what, this is a really strong marketplace. When I look at big industrial markets around the world, aerospace market, I think, is the strongest. And one of the big drivers behind that is, is the population that's now entering the middle class and has the ability to fly. You know, we have a 100 million new passengers every year in Asia, new passengers. And uh, our estimates are that less than 20% of the world's population has even taken a single flight. So tremendous growth opportunity ahead. And then, as you said, strengthen the defense budget as well.
1: Uh, The tax bill was passed, Mm -hmm. and it's a big tax cut for a lot of corporations. And you were uh, one of the companies that I think benefited from it and maybe were pushing for this tax cut. So what are you going to do with all the extra money that you have?
2: So we uh, plowed a lot of those savings back into innovation and R&D. And uh, we spend billions of dollars every year on R&D investment here in the U.S., And another big thing we did is uh, immediately upon passage of the bill, we announced an investment of $300 million in our workforce and workplace. So that includes $100 million in uh, training for our employees, $100 million in infrastructure for the future, workspaces, and then $100 million in uh, community giving, which is perhaps the most important part of that. And uh, that $100 million in community giving, uh, in fact, today – uh, we're going to be announcing the fact that uh, we're identifying $54 million of specific grants and we're adding another $5 million to our investment in the Kennedy well, Center. Thank you very much. All of much. that is being Appreciate announced. It. Okay,
1: today. well, if, uh, if, you, if you ever need tickets to Hamilton, call me. <laughs> Deal. Thank you. Okay. Right. So let's talk about how uh, a farm boy from Iowa – Became the head of Boeing. So you grew up in Iowa. I did, right
2: up in uh, northwest Iowa, just outside of a little town called Sioux Center, and uh, grew up on a farm, working on my dad's farm. What kind of farm was it? Well, we had a large uh, crop farm. Mostly, uh, we raised uh, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and we had a lot of livestock: uh, cattle, pigs, chickens.
1: So you, you were milking cows and everything.
2: Every morning, I had to milk cows. We uh, we uh, milked our own cows for for our family's uh, consumption. So that was part of my
1: daily chores in the morning. And have you ever said to them, drink some Mountain Dew and they, the cows will produce more or the cows will be more productive or uh, something? No. Yeah, that,
2: that wasn't part of the diet plan oh, when okay. I was a kid. Yeah. All yeah.
1: right. So you went to Iowa State. I did. And Iowa State, you, man, uh, you majored in uh, aeronautical Aerospace engineering? Aerospace engineering. Okay. So were there a lot of people doing that there?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it was at that time uh, one of the larger aerospace engineering schools in the country, continues to be. Uh, it does have some uh, Boeing connections, too. T.A. Wilson, who was one of, uh, one of uh, Boeing's previous CEOs, uh, he uh, went to Iowa State. And uh, I actually, uh, when I went there, managed somehow to get his uh, scholarship. And uh, that led to an opportunity for a Boeing internship. So between my junior and senior years at uh, Iowa State. I did an internship at Boeing in Seattle, and I got hooked. I've okay. uh, been there ever since.
1: Well, you, you got a master's degree at the University of Washington. Was that while you were
2: working at Boeing? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was uh, part of uh, Boeing's education while you work okay.
1: plan. What was it that enabled you to rise up among all those employees to be the CEO? Yeah. You're implying it's hard to tell, right? Huh? Well, uh, <laughs> I just want to give you a chance to tell everybody what I already know.
2: <laughs> well. It,
1: David, you know, frankly, um,
2: I I never worried too much about that. So I was thrilled to go work at the world's best aerospace company. I wanted to be a great designer of airplanes. I had the chance to work with a lot of great teams along the way. And I always tried to, you know, find the hardest things to work on and just concentrate on knocking that job out of the park. And that may not sound like much of a career strategy, but it it worked out.
1: Okay. So at a very young age, you were put in charge of running a program for Boeing where they were trying to get the Joint Strike uh, Fighter uh, contract, which is the biggest contract the Pentagon's ever given. Ultimately, it went to another company called Lockheed Martin. Yep. Uh, So you lost. When you lost, did you think your career was over?
2: No, and and it really wasn't even my, uh, you know, construct around that program. But in four years, we went from roughly a a clean sheet of paper to flying two X-32 prototypes. And uh, clearly disappointed that in the end we didn't win. But I learned a lot as a leader. And, you know, sometimes when things don't work out, you, you learn even more. I can tell you that the technology benefit from that program, the talent benefit, how those people then subsequently spread out to the rest of Boeing, you know, it created a benefit that's lasted for, uh, right. for decades.
1: Early in the administration, uh, President Trump said that the Air Force One plane was too expensive. And he wasn't happy with the cost of it. Um, he got your attention, I guess.
2: We're, uh, we're proud of the fact that we uh, build and support Air Force One. It's a really important mission. Uh, the airplanes that are flying today are old uh, 747-200s, actually delivered under uh, George H.W. Bush's administration. They're that old. Oldest 747s flying, and uh, we're proud to keep them flying. And so the, uh, the two new uh, 747-8s, the latest version of the 747. Were I just procured, and those will be modified and become the new uh, Air Force One
1: over the next few years. So, did you convince him to take up bike riding when you were in Mar-a-Lago? And <laughs> didn't that, uh, he, he didn't seem like that interested in that. I,
2: well, he is. He has his own hobby set, okay. and we right. uh, <laughs> we uh, we respect each other's hobbies. Okay. All
1: right. Airbus is your main competitor. Is that right? Yeah. And in, in the commercial airplane, the commercial right? air, yep. air, air, air space. Have you ever test out any Airbuses?
2: I've I've flown on them. Uh, you know, it's not something I spend a lot of time pursuing. Okay? Uh, but uh, I would, I would suggest if you were to, you know, survey the crowd, people that have flown on both Airbus and Boeing, generally the reports I hear, people like flying on a Boeing airplane.
1: All right, well, let's see uh, how many people here prefer Boeing. Okay, okay. I guess, I, I guess you're right on that.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
1: They uh, and you have had what some people might call a duopoly, which is really two manufacturers... Um, Are you not worried that the Chinese or the Japanese will ultimately get into this business of making uh, commercial airplanes? Well,
2: we we know that future competitors are coming, without question. And, uh, you know, the great thing is we have a very strong marketplace. It's about a $7.6 trillion marketplace over the next 10 years. It's a growing industrial marketplace. Uh, It's a marketplace that creates manufacturing jobs and technology ripple benefit. Uh, China is clearly emerging as a very important commercial market for us. They are also a future competitor. So the, the art of this business is to collaborate and compete, and you know competition is going to make us better. The point that the world is pursuing the aerospace market uh, just causes us to continue to invest in innovation. We win because we continue to invest in innovation.
1: We won a big contract to, to produce air tanks. These are refueling uh, planes that yep. enable airplanes to be refueled. But it's behind schedule or not?
2: Well, we've had some challenges in the development program. So we're behind the original schedule, but we are uh, on the cusp now of delivery. So I'm I'm
1: excited to see this happen. Explain us how it works. You're flying along on an airplane, and you have another plane coming along that's going to refuel it. How hard is it to get that little thing in there? Um,
2: For combat operations or Air Force operations, obviously the skill of the pilot, the receiver of the fuel, is important. And then the new advanced systems on the new tanker, assist with that. So the refueling boom is more than 50 feet long. It extends out of the back of the airplane. It has wings on it, so you actually fly it. And there's an operator inside the tanker that flies the boom to the airplane and makes the connection. We've done you know, more than uh, 2,500 connections during the test program already. Okay. So that's part of certifying the tanker.
1: You make the F-15?
2: F-15 right? Eagle,
1: yep. Okay. Have you ever been in that plane? or I have. I've, uh,
2: I've had a couple of flights in the F-15 Eagle, backseat, right? So flying with a Boeing pilot. <coughs> okay. um, but uh, I've had a chance to fly in the F-15 Eagle and in our F-18 uh, Super Hornet. Uh, I've and flown an Apache helicopter, a few others, too. It's one of the great parts of this job is I occasionally get to fly. So
1: when they do a barrel roll, yeah. what is that like? Does that feel like fun or is that a little nerve-wracking? Oh, it's
2: fantastic, yeah.
1: In, in, a, in a fighter jet,
2: it's not really a barrel roll. It's more of a snap roll. Right, yeah faster. But uh, yeah, we uh, we had the chance to go up and do a, a few maneuvers. The
1: pilot that flies the CEO, does that a special job? Or they tell the pilot, be very careful, this is the CEO. And the time that goes wrong, your job is over.
2: We have great test pilots. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, And, and it, it's, it's, it's nice to go up on one of these tests because you kind of get calibrated. They get you accustomed to the airplane.
1: Now, let's take the Boeing plane that most people are probably familiar with, a 737, a 747, yeah. and so forth. Um, On those planes, um, can they ever be flown without a pilot?
2: Well, we're going to continue to have a strong need for pilots. In fact, pilots are in short supply worldwide for commercial airplanes. Uh, That said, we're also continuously working on these autonomous vehicle technologies. So there's a lot of automation already in today's airplanes that can assist the pilot. And uh, that technology continues to mature rapidly, right. so we're building it into our future airplanes.
1: So have you ever thought of having the bathrooms in the planes bigger? Because I noticed they're really small. You know, you, If you want to change clothes or something to get yeah. ready for somebody else, it's really hard. Has that ever been a problem anybody's mentioned you, yeah. when you design well, these planes? A, again,
2: our, our airline customers typically select okay. the laboratory geometry, yeah, and uh, we, we support that. I will say, if, if you'd like to get a BBJ, uh, we could tailor the laboratory oh, really? for you. Okay. So um, more
1: flexibility. Do you have people that can you can try it out for like six months and see if you like the BBJ? <laughs> you, you don't have that program? For, for select customers. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the space program. NASA isn't doing everything it used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is the commercial uh, sector, are you now actually designing the missile, the, the rockets? And what is the plan that you have is to take yeah. a, um, a rocket to the moon again and to Mars? Yeah. I, I think this
2: is the most exciting time in, uh, in our country's space program in decades. And uh, we're literally working on things now that are bigger than the Apollo program. I'm not sure it's as well-known across the country, but we are in the midst of a space transformation uh, in this country. And uh, the commercial uh, entrants here are adding energy. Uh, we're building a new CST-100 Starliner, which will be the first American-made capsule to get us back to the space station. And we're building the new rocket to Mars with NASA. And uh, this new space launch system, it's a rocket that's about uh, 38 stories tall, about 9.2 million pounds of thrust. If you want to put that in car terms, it's uh, about 207,000 Corvette engines. And uh, we're going to do first test launch here over the next couple of years. Uh, We're going to do a slingshot mission to the moon, return to the moon, set up a lunar gateway, and then we're going to go to Mars. And the first person to step foot on Mars is going to get there on a Boeing rocket.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, they come back on a Boeing rocket. Yes. Okay, all right. Um,
2: In in Boeing's uh, version of the space business, it's always a two-way trip.
1: Okay. But it takes six months to get to Mars, more or less, right? Six months? On that order, yeah. Okay. Remember, there was a plane uh, called the Concorde. Why do we not have a uh, supersonic transport any longer?
2: Well, it's, it's the economic hurdle that goes with it. That airplane was never economically viable on its own. And uh, to fly a supersonic, you burn two to three times as much fuel. I do envision a day where not only will we see commercial airplanes that look like today's airplanes, but we'll see high-speed airplanes that can connect any two cities in the world in about two hours. And then we'll see that span up to uh, space tourism. And uh, eventually we'll see an economically viable uh, space ecosystem in low Earth orbit. And uh, you'll see an intersection between commercial air travel high-speed travel, and space travel, and uh, that's all going to evolve over the next couple of decades.
1: You had a very nice name called Dreamliner, I mean, if yeah. somebody thought that up, it was it sounds great, um, but how come you didn't name your other planes, like the 747 doesn't have a nice name like that, or the yeah. 737, how come you don't have a name for all of them?
2: Yeah. Well, maybe that's something we'll look at okay. in the future. All right. Right? Well,
1: can I get a fee for coming up with that idea? Yeah. Or something? <laughs>
2: Yeah we, yeah, we could consider that. Okay, um, all right, okay. Could be, you know, again, if you want to get into the BBJ market, right. that hey, could me. be some consideration.
1: Well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, I just need a six-month trial. Mm. <laughs> when you're talking to members of Congress or people in the administration, um, are, what is the biggest concern that you have, educating them about what you actually do?
2: Right now, trade policy is a, is a really important item for us. And as we think about uh, effective trade agreements around the world, and certainly we want a level playing field around the world, We want to be able to compete and win. We have about 90% of our manufacturing here in the U.S., but we sell about 70% of our products outside the U.S. So think about trade surplus. Uh, The aerospace sector creates the biggest trade surplus of any sector in the country. And so we need trade agreements that allow us to compete globally, to sell globally, And that's part of what creates U.S. manufacturing jobs. So that's an area of discussion, active discussion right now. What about the tariffs? We don't see the current tariffs as having a material effect on our business, but it is something we're watching because it's the broader question of of trade relationships and effective trade agreements around the world.
1: So we have seen a lot of leaders up front, business leaders, government leaders. What do you think makes a great leader?
2: Well, you know, I, I get to ask that question uh, quite often. I thought often. that was original. Yeah, I thought yeah. nobody else ever answered that a, before. It's a good question. Well, you know, when I, when I uh, look at all the dimensions of being a leader, frankly, it goes back to a lot of what I, I learned uh, growing up on that farm in Iowa. You know, I learned a lot from my parents. And uh, the value of hard work, integrity, uh, how you treat other people, how we respect others, our willingness to bring you know, diverse ideas to the table, those all sound simple. And you know things I learned from my dad, who was never a, a businessman, uh, but they apply in the business world. And I think sticking to those fundamentals and always reminding yourself the importance of integrity, your reputation, how you treat others, and then having an element of being able to inspire, you know, those that work around you. And uh, we we try to codify those at Boeing in, in what we call our enduring values and our Boeing behaviors. Uh, but they get back to those fundamentals of who you are as a person and. How you treat others?
1: Now, did your parents live to see your success? Uh, they did.
2: My my father passed away a couple of years ago, but he, he lived a long, robust life, and uh, my mom is uh, still around. And, and I'm good. never quite sure they knew exactly what I did. And right. you know, when I started at Boeing, uh, of course, coming from the farm, I started Boeing my as an engineer, and my dad would often ask me, say, "So Dennis, how'd you go today? What'd you do?" And uh, I describe it. And, you know, he would kind of get it, and. Uh, yeah, you know, I was designing airplanes. It was real stuff. And then as I got to more elevated positions, got to executive positions, he asked me the same questions. Dennis, what did you do today? And I'd describe it, and, you know, I was excited about it. And he would pause and say, well, Dennis, what did you actually do today? Right.
1: <laughs> so it was a good reminder, right? Does your mother ever call you to say, well, she's...
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street... top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.